Okay, so let's get started with the Nokar Mantra. Om Namo Arihantanam Om Namo Siddhanam Om Namo Ayariyanam Om Namo Ujjayanam Namo Loe Sabasahunam Esu Panchanamukaro Sarvapavapanasanam Magalalancha Sarvesim Paramamhave Mangalam Paramamhave Mangalam Thank you everyone for coming today. Today I thought we'd talk about the five minor vows. And I know what you're thinking, it's old hat. And it is, you guys should know it and you guys are following it, I know a lot of that. But as I was reading it, I think there is a value in going over it again. And there's some things you might not know. There's some things you might not have realized about the five minor vows. We are in chapter five. So, okay, so first of all, can anybody name the minor vows and why we call them minor? Does anybody remember the five? I'll give you a hint. The first one is nonviolence. <laughs> After nonviolence is <laughs> right non-attachment. That's two. Non-lying, non-stealing, and celibacy. Okay, those are the five. And we call them minor because we take these vows as lay people. The sadhus and sadvis take the same vows, but they're much stricter. Um, so we call them minor, that's the name, but for, for us, for lay people, shravaks and shravikas, they're major. These are the major vows we're supposed to follow. And one of the benefits of being born as a human is you can take a vow and follow it. You cannot take a vow and follow it as an animal. You cannot take a vow and follow it as a hellish being. And surprisingly, you cannot take vows and follow them as heavenly beings. You're stuck with your good karma, the fruition of your good karma, even as a heavenly being. So that's why they're jealous of us. Heavenly beings are jealous of us because we have more control over our lives. Come on in. Sorry, Does that mean... Uh, wait, you said animals cannot... Take vows. vows. Right. Now they go higher, right? It's out of the... So... Uh, are they stuck in animals? No. Uh, it's not that you're stuck. It's that um, when you... Your karma... Remember, they can't perform nirdra, which is the burning of karma. But remember that your karma will automatically dissipate when it comes to fruition. Okay. So once that happens enough, then you'll be born sometimes, occasionally, as a human. And then it's up to you to take advantage of that um, so that you don't get born... Uh, as something or someone that can take cannot take vows in your next life, even though that's a probability. All right. Um, so the first one is nonviolence, and the thing you all, you guys all know about nonviolence. But the thing I'd like you to take away from this is that nonviolence is much broader than you probably imagined, and nonviolence is a lifestyle. And soon we'll see that instead of these five vows are not equal. It's basically, ahimsa is the first one. 
It's the major overarching one, and all the other ones kind of feed into that one. So what is ahimsa? It is not destroying or hurting the life of, of a living being through passions of attachment and aversion. Don't destroy or hurt the life of a being through negligence. So that seems pretty simple. We're talking about living beings, so we're talking about jeev, like we talked about two classes ago. Um, so you don't hurt or destroy jeev. So that seems pretty simple. So what's the big deal? Well, that includes not hurting and destroying your own jeev. That's, where, that's the first thing that you might not be aware of. Uh, remember, it's not about your body, it's about your soul. So jeev means soul, don't hurt or destroy. Um, you cannot destroy a soul, but don't hurt your own soul. He who abstains from hurting or harming any jeev, either intentionally or through others, or by consenting by others to do so, observes the bow, bow of Ahimsa. So everything, uh, so you'd be surprised at the things that are considered violence. Obviously, breathing is violence because when you breathe, you harm microbes and things in the air. But we can't avoid that. Okay, so the, the trick about practicing ahimsa is um, make a sincere effort to find out how you can live with minimum, minimum violence. Obviously, that's why we're vegetarians. That's why we only kill uh, beings with less than one or two senses in order to live. Uh, and if you were worried about it, remember that veganism is Jainism. Um, one should abandon eating dairy products, fish, meat, and eggs. Okay, so a lot of us aren't vegan. It's very hard to be vegan. Uh, but remember that veganism is Jainism. Jainism is not just vegetarianism. This is always there from the beginning? Yeah, historically, I don't think dairy we had is vegan... Concept. And how can they all, when they do all the puja stuff, they use the hook, right? The ghee and all that stuff. I think that this question is coming up more and more. And I think what used to happen, the dairy, for example, that main, like, you know, anything like uh, yogurt or buttermilk or milk, was excess milk. If the cow, once cow feeds the calf, you have excess milk that was sold on the market. Now, it has changed. The other way around. Yeah, it's the other way around. They actually starve the calf, so cow can produce more milk. So I, I think that's that's more common question nowadays than, than it used to be. But in my understanding, you know that you have cows and buffaloes and whatever, and you feed they feed their kids first, and then you have excess milk that you have to drain, yeah, because otherwise it's not good for them. So that so milk is one thing, but the yogurt is different. Like there's some microbes in the yogurt that creates the yogurt. Correct. Yeah. So that's why people don't use to eat yogurt. They used to use, eat malai. Yeah. So with, with yogurt, the concept is that uh, it's similar to like water, right? So if you drink water, you boil the water. Mm -hmm. So the cycle of microorganisms stops. So that you kill less microorganisms because you have to drink water, right? With yogurt also, you have to consume yogurt once you heat it up. So the, the microorganisms uh, cycle stops and doesn't form again. So it's a similar concept. Like you can consume yogurt, but you have to heat it up and then consume. You cannot consume directly from the fridge. Yeah, and the process of making yogurt, like you, you bring up a good point, yes, is you have to boil the milk or warm, warm the milk. I mean, this is a normal process. Then only your, your um, uh, okay, uh, 
So that means that's, yeah, that's that, you, yeah, you, because you're increasing those micros though, yeah. in order to get that. The process requires you to flourish oh, the microbes. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. it requires okay. you to flourish the microbes. Because if that's it is cold, it will not, I mean, the yeast or whatever, right. mean, whatever it, it would not uh, that flourish. Add, that will not flourish. Okay. That's another reason why I think it's. Malay used to be used more and more before. But now it's very hard to get with this uh, homogeneous milk. You can't get the malai out of it. Yeah. That's why. So there are two types of violence, intentional and a course of living violence. Intentional, almost none of us do, so it's not that important for us to talk about. Hunting, animal sacrifice, killing, hurting, possessing, exploiting animals for amusement. Um, so these are all things that are intentional violence. Course of living violence is, we should talk about, there are three subtypes. Uh, the first is your occupational, the violence that you commit in support of your family, organization, and country that you do during your job. Uh, the second one is domestic, which acts of preparing food, constructing a home, cleaning your house, etc. And the third one is violence you commit in self-defense or defense of other people or your uh, country. Okay, so mm -hmm. violence doesn't mean being a coward, but these things are still violence, although they are lower level violence. There's different levels of violence, right? So obviously intentional is the worst. And out of the course of living ones, self-defense is the least. But that doesn't mean that you don't gain karma for it, just that you gain a lesser amount. <clears throat> so, okay. So th that seems to make sense. So what are you talking about, Thimmer? Why are we trying to do this? Well, Ahimsa is more than that. You should practice benevolence towards all living beings. Feel joy at the sight of virtuous, the virtuous. Show compassion and sympathy towards the afflicted. And adopt an attitude of tolerance towards the insolent and ill-behaved. Well, that's a lot more than not hurting living things. This is a kind of um, a proactive way of ahimsa. Okay? And so, how do you practice nonviolence? Well, you have to have these attributes. Maitri, love and friendship, Pramod, joy and respect, Karuna, compassion, and Madhyasta, tolerance toward living beings. So, okay, now we see that ahimsa is a lifestyle, okay? The kind of, the example I can give you is that, let's say you're going on a diet. Well, if you consider it a diet, you've already failed, because a diet means you end it sometime. Well, a diet, if you're trying to eat healthier, you're trying to make a lifestyle change. That's what everybody says, right? You're going to do adopt this way of eating for the rest of your life. So ahimsa is the same thing. It's a lifestyle change. You're going to adopt this way of thinking for the rest of your life. You're going to have a mindset of ahimsa, and it's going to change your life. Okay, so we see that uh, nonviolence is a spiritual power. Opposing violence only verbally and running away out of fear when one is required to face and endure physical suffering is really the practice of nonviolence. <clears throat> so what is violence and what is not violence? There are some examples now. One commits violence by not contributing to the effort of stopping violence or by simply remaining indifferent to violence. So you can commit violence by omission, right? If you fail to stop the commission of violence, then you are not practicing that lifestyle of ahimsa. So that's a lot more than just not hurting the living beings, right? It's, a, it's about what you, what you don't do as well. 
I had, a, I had a big challenge. Uh, I, I don't know some of the others as well. You know, what's going on in India and, yeah. and Pakistan recently. Right. And it was surprising to me, my family members, adult fam or older family members, were so keen on some action. Mm -hmm. This was before India went over there and right there. And I, I had a hard time. I was like, how can you support? I mean, there's one thing about patriotism and there's another about violence. Right. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we go survey Jain people right now sure. in India. What is their, what was their belief? At least my perception to that was they were all for <coughs> attack mm -hmm. and taking some action. Right. And now they are all praising the action. I guess you get so much influenced about what's happening around you that it's easy to lose the, uh, the our main focus, our fundamentals, like a hinsa, that we should not even do it. And I, I don't know, it was not evident to them. Uh, and I, I told them a couple of times that uh, why, how could, how could you even think about it? And they're like, no, we, we just we have to do something. Right. And uh, so. Uh, I think it, it's a difficult time when you get tested, I think. And at least the, the people I talked to were all for a violent action. Absolutely. There is a bias towards action because inaction makes you appear weak, right? Okay. Yeah. And inaction makes you appear as a coward. And so there is a bias towards action that uh, people have. And one of the... Uh, and the book understands that. The book realizes that that's a... a takes a nuanced kind of position to deal with that. Um, let's see, where is it in the book? Uh, I think we're going to get to it. Uh, the book talks about uh, bravery and cowardice, right? Okay, at the top of, in my book, it's at in the five yeah, transgression yeah. sections. Is bravery to yield to the passion of... Is it bravery to yield to the passion of anger and fury and to enter into fight a fight with one's adversary. Bravery consists of nonviolence, that is, restraining the mind from being under the sway of anger and cruelty. It consists of keeping the mind cool and calm by using the internal virtuous strength of discretion. Okay, so kind of the, the needle that we're trying to thread is that, okay, violence in defense of your country is a lower form of violence. But it shouldn't be done with a passion. Okay? That is definitely wrong. It should be done with bravery, with a calm and cool collected mind. That's the difference. Is whether that violence is committed through passion or not. Uh, so let's talk about more examples of violence and not violence. If one who can swim does not rescue a drowning man and simply watches him drown, it is an act of violence. Okay, so there we see that it's not just not harming a living being, it's protecting living beings. It's being proactive, okay? Uh, not giving food to the hungry in spite of one's ability to give food is also a case of violence. Well, that's even broader than before, okay? Now we're not talking about saving people's lives. We're talking about giving food to the hungry. Well, what does that have to do with violence? And this is where I think it's interesting that you might not consider this. This is kind of incredulous at first, right? If, if this is violence, if giving, not giving food that you can give to a hungry person is violence, then what's not violence, right? Everything is violence. It's just like, if it's bad, it's violence. 
And I think that's kind of where we're headed, okay? Uh, that's why this is an overarching thing, right? <laughs> like anything that is considered bad is considered violence by the, by the book. And I think that it can be easy to say that, oh, it's a little overbroad and the author is feeling his oats here and just calling everything violence. But I think if we think about it a little bit, if you take this week to think about it, then uh, I think that uh, you'll understand it. Violence of such a type, we're talking about not giving food to the hungry, is the result of callous carelessness of the form, what concerns have I? Why should I invite trouble? I cannot or afford to give food or other items to the needy. Hard-heartedness is opposed to religion and religious practice. Universal love is the foundation of religion. Okay, so here they made it explicit. Hard-heartedness is now violence, okay? We're getting broader and broader. See, we started out, we started out great. We started out, don't hurt a living being through passions and attachment and aversion. Everybody understood that. But now after two pages, we're talking about hard-heartedness is violence, okay? It's just simply, why is that? Okay, here's where I think it clicked for me. Because when you practice this hard-heartedness, you are hurting your own soul. You are closing your own soul off um, to this universal love that is the foundation of religion. Remaining indifferent to others' happiness, comforts, and benefits for the sake of one's own form is a form of violence. Okay, you're hurting your own self by being hard-hearted. You're hurting your own self because let's say you weren't, okay? Let's say you do give food to the homeless. Isn't that helping your own soul by practicing charity? We've talked about that, right? Let's say you are able to be happy for others. Isn't that helping your own soul by practicing humility? None of us think that practicing charity or practicing humility is bad. We, all, we talked about that, right? That's one of the ways to combat our passions, right? Practicing charity and humility. But by characterizing hard-heartedness as violence, now you see how we're closing our own selves off from practicing those things that can help us. And now you see why violence, ahimsa, is a way of life. And now you see why it, it's the overarching vow over all these other vows. It's like ahimsa is at the top and these other four are at the bottom. Yes? Uh, if I draw a parallel, right? Yes. You talked about humility and, and being happy for others. Mm -hmm. So if I take a real life situation where you know, there are there are two contenders in your in your office where one needs to get promoted and you are one among them right so when the results are declared and for some reason you lose out mm -hmm. how do we normally feel in that situation you you feel bad right mm -hmm. if i now try to <laughs> apply this where it says you need to be happy for the other person's I mean, he got promoted and, and you don't, you lose out, right, in right. that race. Right. But at the same time, if I try to apply what is being said here, it says you need to be happy for others and also be grounded or be, uh, practice that humility where, you know, you full-heartedly appreciate the other person's right. price. So, but I, I somehow feel it is very difficult in... in that kind of a situation where you are, uh, you were expecting that you would get that mm -hmm. slot or whatever. I mean, 
promotion, but you mm -hmm. don't get it. Right. So, yeah. Certainly is difficult, and I'm not saying that any of this is easy. Yeah. It's easy for us to talk about it, and it's easy for us to say, but we all knew that. We all know that the challenge is going out there and swimming against the tide of what everybody else is doing and practicing it for ourselves. And the way around that is it's hard to do, but if you start small and you understand and you can realize, uh, if you start maybe a little bit smaller and realize what it can do, how it can help you to appreciate others, then you'll be able to do these big ones when these feelings start overcoming you. I think it's, what, what I think part of it is because it's on uh, our sanskar, right? Winning is in our sanskar. Because our kids also, we, we try to train them, it's okay if you don't win. I mean, I think it's more and more nowadays than in back in, in our time when we were growing. It was always like, you know, you have to win sort of thing. And every time you don't uh, win, you create a, a, a sort of a negative feeling, if you will. And sometimes it can work two ways. It can either, you, you can bounce back, but that, that negative feeling can dominate on you and go down. And I think that's why we teach our kids, it's okay if you don't win, if you enjoy, that's more important. I think same parallel is applicable in, in, in this case. Uh, and, and I think if, if we go beyond somebody or our feeling, our negative feeling, and then learn from other person why, I mean, for true reason, if they got promoted or won, then maybe we can acquire those skill set and, and, and we do better next time, whether it's a game or whether it's a business. It's, but I agree, it is hard to do. Part of it is because it's on our belief system that uh, uh, we, if we don't win, it's, it's not a great. Or if we don't get promoted or not get salary enough, or wh whatever it is, we always try to compete with others. But if we just compete with ourselves, we, we have probably more than 70% uh, uh, even in the United States. I mean, just comparing from the uh, salary and things like that. So, agreed, it is definitely difficult. And um, and let's say you don't believe that being humble and being happy for that person is going to help you. Well, the decision has already been made. What is this negative energy going to do for you? Yeah. You know, yes, you're feeling it, but unless you redirect it into something that can be productive for you, what is it doing? It's just weighing on your life. You cannot change the fact that you were passed up for this promotion, right? So, um, so there's that to consider. So, so we have another example. <coughs> Even if one does not speak the truth in court and allows a man to be a victim of injustice, it is a case of vi violence as well as untruth. So now we see these are blurring, right? Untruth, non-lying is the next one. But now we're calling untruth violence. Okay, well, because this person is being harmed. Because this person is being harmed. So now we see why it's overarching, okay? Untruth is ahimsa. Non -ste uh, stealing is ahimsa. You know, uh, adultery is ahimsa. And attachment is ahimsa. So now we see why it's the overarching one. All of these are ahimsa. And we're going to see why a, a little bit later as we talk about each of them. So I have one, one question. Sure. So on, on ahimsa, so I think... Every ara has set of rules which are defined, right? right. Every ara would only have 24 tirtankas, would only have a certain number of chakravartis, certain number of vasudevas, and every of this individual have certain rules right. in Jainism. Right. But then when Jainism is preaching ahimsa, and you know, if you are a chakravarti of that ara, it is definite that 
your next janam is going to be in Nathu. Because you have to do certain actions uh, as a Chakravarti in, in that role and the next vow uh, you will always be in Nathu. So having said that, then why do we have these roles as a Chakravarti, somebody, in the Jainism concept? I mean, I'm not able to, you know, it's a question, maybe there is a reason, but I do not know what the answer is. Why do we have somebody as a role of Chakravarti or Vasudev? Um, so the book talks about, uh, let's see. Mm. It could be because of the karmas, what we learned earlier. Because your karmas are attached to your soul and that then defines what role you will play. If I have to simply say it. Because they, ultimately the path to moksha is when your karmas are gone or are no more attached to your soul. Uh, until then, you just play uh, based on play the role based on how heavy or light the karmas will be. Here's what the book says: It is only the brave endowed with the power of discrimination and discretion who can practice nonviolence. This is the reason why the Tirthankars belong to the Kshatriya class, the warrior class. And they do have heroic character of the highest order. Only those who have heroic character and at the same time possess the power of discrimination and discretion can become their followers. So they are born into the warrior class. They have an understanding of violence. And therefore, their renunciation of violence is all the more powerful. That's why they must be born into the warrior class. Because that way they will, um, they fall further. Oh, fall or rise, however you want to look at it. Uh, uh, <laughs> by renouncing. More, yeah. yeah, by renouncing that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. okay, so questions on nonviolence. The thing I want you to take away from this is that, and the thing that you may not have known, is that it's a lot broader than you might have thought it was. And it encompasses more things. And we'll see why, as we talk about the other four, we'll see why they are ahimsa too. Like, uh, we'll see why practicing truthfulness is practicing ahimsa as we go along there. Questions or comments about ahimsa? One, one thing, as I understood, that like wasting food, right? Mm-hmm. They, they say do not waste food because when you throw the food away, it creates a jeev or jeev and then it, you you basically be participate. At least that's my one of my. Other than not wasting food, it's not a good idea uh, because it takes a lot to produce it. Now, that is one one way. So that means the what's the other way is you don't, you know, you keep it overnight in the refrigerator and eat it next day, which my my parents just like you know he's like how 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 can you all eat next day? Right. And that has become the lifestyle. Uh, unfortunately uh, in US I mean that's just we've seen that happens a lot so which one is is worse um, over a short time and a long time because I've also heard the negative effects of eating the food in that, that's on the body itself so I guess other than it's a means of survival for us nowadays what is what is from Ahinsa standpoint if you have leftover food you don't have like you know dogs you can feed or cows you can feed here that happens in India um, every uh, every day you basically at the end of the day you go go give it to somebody. W- which one is worse? 
Wasting the food is worse. But if you don't want to have leftovers, then start a compost pot. And ducks. And ducks. <laughs> a lot of these uh, neighbors now have ducks. <laughs> oh, ducks, not even. Oh, yeah, I see. <laughs> well, that old lady, we didn't, we didn't have the refrigerator too, That's right? So you are still controlling the regeneration cycle by putting it in the refrigerator. Yeah, and that's definitely my always uh, my has been my uh, defense is like you know we didn't have refrigerator back in those days. <coughs> now we can preserve things and so on and so forth. But again, I yeah. I feel after a few days, it's that food is. Uh, but even if you get it from groceries, it's a few days old. I, I mean, that's it's a, an average life is a, a shelf life is three months with yeah. the weed. So. Yeah. In, in in Mumbai, they have built up an agency where you know they they force uh, this dabbawalas who go and serve you, bring your dabbas, uh, and then what you can do is you can put a sticker on a dabba, saying that whatever is left over in this you can collect and send it to the yeah. homeless people. Right. So the agency works around sure. mm-hmm. to make sure they collect the leftover food and give it to the homeless because right. Here also in US there are homeless people. Oh, well, there are yeah. a lot of organizations. Absolutely. Over here is all these legal things. I asked uh, somebody, I think, uh, what do y'all do with all your leftovers? Just, you, know, you can go give it to, but they go, you can get liability for it. Someone yeah. falls sick. Sure. So they literally will throw food away before they give it to other people. Right. Yeah, because you can't serve bad food to people. Even if they're homeless, that doesn't mean that you can give them expired food, right? No, so they don't want to take left, a chance. Leftover, you have a big function and like over here, right? You have uh, leftover sometimes. They, they won't give it uh, away. It's, literally, you'll see all garbage. Right, because we are not in the food industry. And there's regulations about giving yeah. people food. Like, it's unfortunate. It's like red tape, right? That's what you're railing against, right? And, and that's right. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it could be peanut allergy, or you, you never know spices. For example, what we use is they cannot eat that kind of spicy food, and if they have it and they get heat, heartburns, or something, so take home. Yeah. Bring your dabbas here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go to truthfulness, and we'll take our time with each one of these. So if we have go to the next class, that's fine. Um, so we're going to notice a pattern that it's you start off with what you think it is, but then it gets broader and broader, and that's what I want you to realize. So truthfulness, telling the truth, right? It seems straightforward. But then the book hits you with, speaking what is not commendable is falsehood. Well, that's a different story, right? Speaking what is not commendable is falsehood. That which is uh, speaking which causes pain and suffering to a living being is not commendable. So this is, uh, as we're going to see, this is going to get broader and broader. So there's a tension here. Words that lead to injury constitute falsehood. Okay, no matter if they're true or not. So now we have a definition of truth that you may not understand at first. Okay? It is justified to hide the truth and remain silent to protect the life. Okay? Lying is due to some form of passion, therefore all lying is forbidden except in cases where the truth is likely to result in greater himsa. Okay? So we see that nonviolence takes precedence over truthfulness. So if your truthfulness is going to hurt somebody's feelings, okay, don't say it. Um, 
Any speech actuated by passion is false. Well, that's really broad. Okay, that's untruthfulness. Let's say you're saying something factually true, but you have a lot of passion behind it, a lot of intensity, a lot of anger. Okay? That's untruth. Okay? Because if you speak with passion, it's false. Okay? That's very interesting. So we're not talking about factually true. Okay? I want you to erase that from your mind, that definition of truth. When we start talking about this whole paragraph, we're not talking about... No problem. We're not talking about factual truth. We're talking about Jane truth, which is the truth. If you say something factually true in anger, that is false. Or with excessive passion, that's false. Is it just the Jainism, or uh, I'm more interested in it for another reason right now? But it's a, uh, or is this a, is there a definition like this around? I mean, I don't know if somebody knows or not. But I've never, this was kind of not, I thought somebody, when you're saying something with passion, that means you really are believing in it and it's the truth for you. And that's kind of what's happening in one of the, the cases we're, we're fighting. Right. But it's, uh, and it's so true. This is, the statement is mm -hmm. uh, so true for that, that fact. So is it just the Jainism definition or is it uh, a more wider definition out in the, uh, I would call it philosophical word for lack of a better term? It's the true definition. <laughs> Is the, I'm not able to understand the reason mm -hmm. why, why, so I understand that you know, the, what is the meaning of the statement, mm -hmm. but what is the reason of the statement when, when we say that something is fact, when we say it with passion, why is not that? Because remember, passions are our enemies. Broad, man, mayan, lobe, anger, ego, deceit, and greed are our enemies. Mm -hmm. And if you say a factually true statement, let's say in anger, you're hurting your soul. You're attracting karma to your soul, right? You're attracting bad karma that binds your soul, which is himsa, which is against, which is hurting your jeev. And you don't want to do that. So that's why we don't do it. That's why it's untrue. That's why we consider it untrue to speak a factual statement with passion. It might be true, but you're hurting your soul, so why would you do that? You should not have the feeling in saying that. See, it's going against your soul. It's going against your interest, which is why it's untrue. Which is the passion that makes it untrue. Not the factualness of the statement. The passion which you, with which you say it hurts yourself. Yeah. That's why. And to the earlier point where we say that uh, if I say something which is truth, but you never know how you are going to take it. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, it's up to you in your nature, whether you are going to take it in the right spirit or you are going to dislike it or whatever, right? Then how do we judge that? Right. Whether I have to say it to you or not. What is complicated, it's easy to talk about one person in a vacuum. It's hard to talk about the interactions between your karma and my karma and you're an angry person and I don't know what when I say something how you're going to react. I cannot predict that. If I don't if I know it will hurt your feelings, then that's bad. Okay? But if I don't know, I cannot predict our interactions. Okay? Um, here's an interesting caveat. When a saint or preceptor gives sound advice against vices or questionable habits of life, let's say I tell you not to drink. He cannot be said to indulge in false speech. 
even though the person affected may feel ashamed or uncomfortable. Let's say you're an alcoholic, I say, don't drink. Uh, it's against Jainism. And you get mad at that. Okay? I am not telling an untruth. Why? Because I didn't say it out of passion. Right? I said it because I said it because out of this universal foundation of love, right? I didn't say it out of passion. I didn't get angry at you. I didn't call you a drunk or something like that. But that meant I'm telling the truth. So even so, don't, don't say something you know will hurt somebody's feelings, especially out of passion. So, again, I, this uh, uh, conflict is, is fresh in my mind. Yes. You know, there was, a, there was a soldier that got captured on the other side. Yes. And he gave a statement uh, or recorded a video for, uh, at least it seemed to, to, to a lot of us that it was not true. Because he praised the, the other army and things like that, and I was like, "Why would he do that? You know, right. why why would he do that?" But like what you just said is, if the ahimsa takes over, uh, if ahimsa uh, is is priority over truthfulness, so right. even if it was it was untrue, if it was preventing some ahimsa, then it was right for him to do that. That's right. So the answer is about uh, uh, it's here. Um, if the factual truth is harmful to others, it is not worthy of re being regarded as the truth. Um, for example, if we know the direction in which a deer has gone, it is justified to hide this information from a hunter. Therefore, in such a situation, keeping silent or showing the hunter a wrong direction in order to save the creature is our duty and religion. So you're right. Ahimsa takes priority over truthfulness. And in fact... It is, see, it's not factually true, but it's true. If you show the hunter a wrong direction, it's not factually true, because that's not the definition of truth. Yes. But it is truth. I think the intention of what you say is the definition of whether it's true or not. So Absolutely. If your intention is to do ahimsa, even if you are saying false, it is still true. Right. I mean, that is what is Even if it's factually it's, false, it's yes, still the it's truth. True. Intention, I think it's a... That's absolutely correct. Um, so, here we go. To describe a thing as it is or an event as it happened is generally regarded as the truth. And factually, no doubt, it is the truth. From the religious standpoint, it may or may not be the truth. So we have factually true and actually true. Okay. If the factual truth is harmful to others, it is not worthy of being regarded as the truth. It is absolutely necessary to be cautious and to use one's power of discrimination and discretion to decide whether one should make a statement of fact. Okay, so remember we talked about facts aren't true a long time ago. So this should remind you that facts aren't true. Ahimsa is true. Questions on that? I think this is getting very interesting as we go deeper and deeper. <laughs> and the whole definition is changing, right? Right, right. So, how can, has anybody experienced, because I think we face a lot of, uh, with two uh, kids, we face a lot of challenge. Both right. things they're right and they, then they get passionate about it. And I'd like to make a slogan that when you say it with passion, it's not true. <laughs> Uh, out of it, okay. Because 
it just ha I mean it's so we have to bring into the concept of our little lesson that we're gonna create here that it is hurting yourself to be angry about okay so let's think of think of an example and then we can talk about it. a specific example from with your kids so so the one this morning that we uh, had to stop the car uh, on the way mm -hmm. is uh, uh, we were saying Logasa. Right. That was our routine that normally we, we say in the car. That's great. And Nirek started putting music into it, or uh -huh. his view of music. And uh -huh. Jenna is saying it's annoying uh -huh. to her. Uh -huh. So she, she keeps on saying it's annoying, annoying, annoying. And then finally, she goes, reach, tries to reach her, uh, him, and, and gives him a, a little, whatever you call it, pad or whatever. Uh -huh. So, and then he's like, oh, I mean, so we stopped and said, okay, you, you can't do this. This is uh, wrong. Obviously not, not at the Hinsa level, but you just, you can't hurt someone. <coughs> so how can I, I say that maybe you were right. If it was annoying to her, but she should not have her, uh, raised her hand and tried to hit him. Uh, that was our live example this morning. Right. Uh, so the question is, and this kind of thing happens all the time, and right. I think girls are more sensitive than the boys sometimes. Right. And boy, my actually five-year-old, six-year-old figured out that now she eats, uh, it, it, he does it purposely sometimes just to make mm -hmm. her uh, <laughs> a little antsy. So, yeah. how how can how can we teach it in a way that okay, it's hurting yourself if you get angry, you get passionate about something. And sometimes she's right. I'm not saying she's wrong, but she's right. she's right. He's wrong, but then it comes out the wrong way, and then she always gets uh, hurt two ways. One, she heard her paschata. Uh, oh, I heard my brother. And I I see always it happens, mm -hmm. and then obviously she gets a little scolding uh, from us for hurting him. Mm -hmm. So what what is the best way to prevent something like that from from the beginning? Anybody? Must you teach a little one? You're hurting her to start with. Yeah, but see, the challenge this morning was he was actually paying attention and he was putting so the. He knows the trigger point. Uh, right? He yeah. He knows the trigger point of yeah. course. We call it pressing your buttons. Yeah, that's in right. our family, right? He's pressing your buttons to get a reaction out of you, yeah. so you get punished. So one way that we have kind of addressed it in our family is I've shown my oldest one that is always the person who throws the second punch that gets punished. Because nobody sees the first punch, yeah. right? Same with like insults and things like that. It's always somebody who's reacting to the insult that gets punished because they're causing the disturbance. And once I pointed that out to her, she sees that in her class. Like if somebody's annoying you and poking you and you say, shut up, Jason, <laughs> you're going to get in trouble. Okay? Um, and it's against your own interest to react. Okay? Um, and so one of the things that well, you say, well, how do you not be the second person? Well, remove yourself from the situation, things like that. Uh, uh, things that they can do to have somebody not press their buttons. Yeah, and, and her is, the uh, same thing happens at school for her. Mm -hmm. If somebody's not being fair, if somebody is does, does the first one, right. she's the second one feeling bad about it. And right. sometimes it's about the third person, not even her. Right. But she's like, so-and-so is not being fair. And mm -hmm. that, that's why my day, day was bad worst day today that's right. her way of saying it right. and I'm like I, I, I somehow I, I hope uh, this discussion lead me to something that we can work with her and 
Yeah, so we got to tell her that life is not, life is fair, but not in the way that you think. Life is fair according to the karmas that we have. And for some people that have better karma, if you can't see inside that person, can't see that, then it seems like it's unfair, right? We've all seen, quote unquote, bad people have great things happen to them. And that might be because of something that happened in their past life. Their karma is coming into fruition, right? So it seems that life isn't fair, but overall life is fair because of karma. And so when she reacts, then she is only hurting her own self. She's only getting karma for her own self. Another thing what we practice in our families, uh, we've asked the second person to stay, just smile. Mm -hmm. Just keep smiling and not to react to the first person. So basically if the elder one is trying to irritate the younger one, we've, we've told him just smile. Try this few times and then you'll realize what it is. Right. So all he does is he'll keep he'll keep smiling and, and you know trying to irritate. And the other person gets irritated and just leaves and goes away or, or walks away. So that right. way, it's a win-win situation. There's no more uh, fighting. I think that's that's one more thing which you can try. But it's difficult given that their ages, they tend to get into a, a situation where they'll fight it out. And sometimes you just leave them. Right. Yeah. That way also, and not interfere what they're doing unless they're really hurting or banging the walls. But sometimes if you just leave them, after a few minutes, they'll be out. Absolutely, yeah. We're dealing with a pretty common example in our house. The older one is playing with the toy. The younger one snatches it from her. And then the older one starts crying and yelling and screaming. And then they start fighting, right? Uh, now, the older one is in the right. Okay, The younger one was absolutely wrong to snatch the toy. But what we're trying to teach the older one is to be a bigger person. Just like you're saying. and Just smile. Just the I'm trying to tell the five-year-old to say let her snatch it and as soon as you don't react she's gonna play with it for two minutes and drop it and be uninterested and you can pick it up because she's a baby babies pick up and drop things every 30 seconds right and so I'm trying to get her to there to try to show her that being the bigger person is in her self-interest and then once the baby drops it she can pick it back up again you know they have like 20 toys around them and they all want to play with the same single toy <laughs> So, <laughs> trying to show that that, house. that kind of self-control gets you what you want. Because that is, how to, that is how to speak to them, right? This is what you want. I'm trying to show you how to get what you want. This is, not only is it in your best interest, you're going to get what you want and you're not going to have a fight about it. We get a follow-up question, but why me? <laughs> oh, why do I have to be the bigger person? Why can't she be the bigger person and not snatch in the first place? Right. It's tough. Yeah, so we're, I mean, we're trying to tell her, she's a baby, she doesn't understand. Your role is to protect her and her, her role is to respect you. And she has, a, you know, yeah, yeah, but that's very tough because she's not her peer. Yeah. It's, it's an age thing. And now that at least for me, the kids have grown up, they're playing more and more together. Not to say they still fight, but uh, I think the bonding that has created is more deeper. Uh, sometimes we say, look, if he did this, you know, maybe for 5-10 minutes or a game that they play together, don't play and remind the younger one, because you did that, I'm not going to play with you for this 5 or 10 minutes. Right. That's great. Yeah. 
Yeah, sometimes, and, and on the other hand, they sometimes they team up and they they pretty much uh, work against us. You know, they're like, <laughs> and, and we are so happy with that. And then this yeah. like a thing happens. And the elder one, Karika and myself, we're both elder in the family, you know, and and Jenemy is the elder. So she, she's like, why always me? Yeah. Because now that's her thing, right? Because we said, oh, you have to be, you're bigger, you have to give it up. You know, he's a little one and yeah. this and that. And then she's like, why always me? And we feel like, oh, yeah, you know, we were elder kids and we heard that all the time. Right. So there's some bias that we have. And, and, and she's always a second puncher, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the way you said yeah. I think it's so right. She's always the, the second one and then she's always, is a girl, she gets more upset about anything. <laughs> so we, I, I feel for her and then, you know, it kind of puts you in that situation and you sometimes end up doing, I mean, I admit I'm doing the wrong thing. I mean, right. you know, you know uh, maybe she was right or he was right, but then the complete, uh, with the bias, the things go in a different direction. But I, I'm going to try this few things and see how uh, we'll have a talk this, this afternoon. That's great. And so the things I want you to take away, we'll stop with there for now. The next time we'll go through the other three. The things I want you to take away are there's something deeper here that you might not have known about. It's not just nonviolence, non-lying, non-stealing, celibacy, and non-attachment. These dovetail into each other. And these are so broad, almost comically broad, okay? Realistically, almost comically broad. Um, but that... It is a lifestyle, and that there is something here that's worth your time uh, to crack open the book and look at, to try to understand how these things fit together. So thank you for coming today, and we'll see you uh, next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.